This is Craig Brown, and welcome to Passages. Passages is a space to explore Bible passages used for preaching, reflection, and prayer. My hope is that Passages will shine a unique light on text used for preaching at the First Free Methodist Church of Seattle, where I serve as pastor, or anyone looking to dive deeper into the Bible. Today's passage is James chapter 2, verses 14 to 20. It's the basis of the sermon at First Free Methodist Church on October 2nd, 2022. This is the fourth week in a series of sermons called Back to Basics as we explore the essentials of the Christian life. We turn our attention to these verses in the short letter of James toward the end of the New Testament. James is such a controversial epistle and writing as it has been for centuries. Even Martin Luther, the great reformer, referred to it as the epistle of straw. There has been controversy around this text for a lot of reasons, but dominantly because James seems to be arguing that we are justified as a people by our works, which seems contrary to what we read elsewhere in the New Testament, especially from the Apostle Paul. So one of the things I'm hoping that we can talk about in the podcast today is how uh, James and Paul may not be uh, the antithesis or in opposition to each other. They actually may be complementing each other in a very important way that we should pay attention to. Now that we can uh, realize, at least at the beginning, that this is a controversial passage uh, for those of us who are Protestants, we can kind of launch into understanding what this text is really about. And in verse 14, really is the essential question uh, to everything that we're going to talk about uh, through verse 20. James writes, what use is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works? Can that faith save him? So there's there's two uh, micro questions, if you will, in verse 14. The first one is right at the beginning. What use is it? So that's the question. Now, there's an elaboration on that question, but let's just take that part. What use is it? You see, that's a question of utility. We're talking about the usefulness of faith, its meaning, its significance, uh, how it is impactful. So what use is it is really the, the micro question at the beginning of verse 14. And then look at the end of verse 14. You'll see another question more clearly formed there. Can that faith save him or them. Notice that the question about utility, what use is it? And the second question now helps us understand how that utility in the first question is one about salvation. Can that faith save him? This is not a question of ethics or conduct or appropriate behavior. This is about salvation. Uh, theologically, we say that this is a soteriological question. So we need to be careful to understand the scope or the frame that we're talking about here. What use is it? And can faith save them? Then we can look at the middle part of the verse. James writes, my brothers and sisters, what use is it if someone says he has faith, but he has no works? Faith and works. This is the controversy. That word for works, erga, uh, we get English words uh, based on this Greek word, ergonomics, and other words like that. We have to be really careful what is meant here by works, because this is where people see a conflict with some of the theology that's articulated by the Apostle Paul. 
Paul rails against being justified by works. So it's important to understand what do we mean by works here? Now, in Paul's theology, works have to do primarily with the works of the law. In other words, the the works of obedience related to the Jewish law. For there were many in Paul's day that believed that the following of Jewish law would lead them to salvation. And so Paul rails against this notion of trying to be justified by your works of the law leading to salvation. Whereas James is talking about works in a very different way. James is talking about not works that lead to salvation, as Paul would. James is talking about works as a result of that salvation, the works that happen because there is faith present. So they're talking about works at kind of two different spaces or two different um, moments within the spiritual life of a person. It's a, it's a nuance, but it's a critically important one because James is pushing against the notion that one can have a saving faith without the manifestation of any sort of works. Now, the remaining verses are all going to explore the questions of verse 14. And we're going to look at this from a number of different positions over even throughout the rest of the chapter and into the next chapter. We're going to focus on two of them coming up. One is a pragmatic answer and the other is a theological answer. But first, a key passageway that we can learn just in this first verse, that this Christian life or way is a holistic way, both internally and externally. What James is beginning to argue is that the the Christian life has a balance to it. It's an internal and an external reality. You know, over the years that I've served the church as a pastor, I've crossed paths with both kinds of folks, to be honest. I've had many people in the churches I've served that are bent on issues of works and social justice. And sometimes those in that space seem to have very little spiritual life, faith formation, grace, spiritual disciplines. They don't participate in any kind of small group or Christian community. They're just dedicated to the works. And in a similar way, I have had those in my churches that are completely bent on the notion of piety and devotion and worship, but they have very little expression in serving others. What we need to hear from James is that there's a balance to be had here. There's a holistic way that's healthy and vital. And in a a sense, we don't simply play one note as a follower of Jesus. No, what we actually do is we play a chord, a, a, a composition of notes together that create a very, very different type of sound. James turns his attention to one of these two answers to this question about what use is it uh, if someone has faith but has no works, and can faith save that person, by starting first with a pragmatic response, and that's in verses 15 to 17. And by pragmatic response, I simply mean this, that James is going to address this question about faith without works by dealing with a very practical situation. And this particular situation he's going to describe in verses 15 16 and 17, is hypothetically a person who's lacking clothing and food. Now, this is a simple case of being impoverished, so please don't overanalyze it. It's very straightforward. James uses the most straightforward language to showcase the situation. He says it is a brother or sister in our community who is lacking clothing 
and lacking daily food. Very simple. And so James hypothesizes, say, what what good is it if there's a person in our community, a brother or sister, without clothing and need of daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled. Now, follow carefully. Be warm and filled. Warm and filled. Those correlate precisely to clothing and food. The warmth coming from clothing, filled being full of food. So the statement that the person would make is go in peace, be warm and filled. Both state the fulfillment of the need, but the person has actually done nothing to make the individual warm and filled. James is saying the hypocrisy of this should be apparent. If somebody's without clothing and food, and then you say to them, be warm and filled, that makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. How can they be warmed and filled without actually being warmed and filled? So James really pulls off um, an example here that really kind of helps demonstrate that there's a, a rich synergy to be had between faith and works. And he basically says this at the end of this passage in verse 17, in the same way, faith also, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. So faith and works are just like the example that we read. And this is really extreme language by James. He's saying that alone, faith is dead. So what we're trying to understand here is that James is telling us that faith must be animated. It takes on a form. It's embodied. It has some sort of action or work to it. That if there's faith, there should be works. And if there's no works, then one might be suspect of the faith itself. And that opens up a key passageway for us here. That integrity and authenticity are the hallmarks of the Christian faith. You know, James sees clearly the disconnect between a faith that has no manifestation. So often uh, we seek to speak and take positions before taking any action. And this is very similar to faith without works. And therein lies the danger. We think we've actually done something by speaking or taking position when in fact we have done little to nothing for those who are in need. Those outside the church, outside Christian community within the world are watching us and they actually condemn us for the failure that James points out in this very text. What if, for example, we reversed that order? What would it look like for us to take action and then proclaim the faith that caused the action? More on that in a moment. In the final three verses of this text, verses 18, 19, and 20, James now turns to a theological answer. So we're not talking about a pragmatic or practical answer. We're talking about a theological answer. The first argument is about whether faith can exist without works. So can there be faith with no works at all? Now we consider a slightly different nuance of that is we consider this false idea of interdependency. And here's what that means is let's say you have two people. One person has faith and no works. 
the other person has works and no faith. Can the body of Christ be composed of people who have complementing gifts? It's almost like appealing to some of the Apostle Paul's teaching about spiritual gifts, that some people have certain spiritual gifts and other people have certain spiritual gifts. And our interdependency is on the fact that we draw from each other in our own unique sacred giftedness. So what James is asking here rhetorically is can we think of faith and works in the same way, that one person has the gift of faith and another person has the gift of works? Does that, does that even happen? And what James does here is he says this. Listen to the words very carefully and play a little matching game with faith and works. It's in verse 18. But someone may well say, here's this hypothetical argument. You have faith and I have works. So see the you, second person pronoun, the I, first person pronoun. You have faith, I have works. Show me your faith without the works. And I will show you my faith by my works. So if you follow how James is framing this, he's saying, so you say you have faith, but you don't have works. And James says, I'm going to show you that I have both because I have faith. You can tell I do because I have works that go with it. <laughs> and then he goes into verse 19 and gets into this theological answer. He says, you believe that God is one. Now, James lifts this right out of the one of the most famous texts in the entire Bible in Deuteronomy chapter 6. It's the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. God is one. So that's where James pulls this. You believe that God is one. And he says, you do well. It's the essential confession of the Jewish faith. And so here's the question James is putting here. Can God have faith without works or works without faith? Is it possible that God in the personhood of God, the singularity of God, for God to have just works or just faith? Isn't the divine somehow consistent? That's why this is a theological answer. It has to do with the very nature and being of who God is. And so what's hiding beneath the, the words here, it's like the subtext, is like you believe that God is one. That's like a creed or a creedal statement that you could say, I believe God is one. So can you make the confession that God is one? Um, can you make that confession? And what James is saying is that confession alone doesn't save you precisely because he tells us that in that very same verse, verse 19, you believe that God is one, you do well. The demons also believe and shudder. So this ties us back to verse 14. Can that faith save him? So just agreeing with the creed, God is one, not only are we asking a question of consistency within the person of God, can God have faith without works or works without faith? Of course not. But even just holding to that creedal piece, can you make this creedal affirmation that God is one and that's enough? And James says, no, it's not enough because even the demons believe that. So here's the danger. Believing that there is faith in a person without works is an easy failure because it looks like religion. It seems like saving faith. It's easy to lie to oneself about that reality. So you may not have any works, but you have faith. And James is even <laughs> activating a rhetorical device here to say, "Is why would you even say that? I mean, to be honest, is it better to be wrong about who God is, or is it 
better to be deceived about who God is. Here's the difference. The God who loves and takes no action is useless to us. So in the same way, faith without works is also useless. And that's exactly how James ends verse 20. Faith without works is useless. But he only does so after uh, slightly insulting his audience. You foolish person. That word for foolish literally means empty-headed person. It's a kind of a form of an insult he throws at this uh, anonymous provocateur. It opens up the key passageway to us that we really have to pay attention to. That faith and works together create religious harmony and synergy. You know, too many of us rely our faith on kind of a one and done conversation. One and done is that I've had a conversion experience. One and done is I did this this last week, or I participated in this, or I prayed, or I went to a worship service. It's like somehow in our mind punching a ticket, like I've, I've got my pass for the week. Our faith, or shall we say love for God, must be embodied. It takes on action in the flesh. When we realize that no matter our gifting, whatever our spiritual gifts might be, we each must have outlets for true faith. So if we just consume religious goods and services without doing the ministry, without the work that God has given us, then our faith is useless. It is dead. Faith and works, according to James, it's, it's kind of like breathing. So imagine faith like inhaling and works like exhaling. It's akin to not inhaling anymore to say you have works without faith or exhaling anymore to say you have faith without works. And when we stop breathing, of course, we die. And, and James is saying that these two things live in a synergy together. They move together. Faith and works is like breathing for us. And the more we can live into that synergy and that harmony, the, the, the more impact we will have, not only in ourselves, but for others. You see, the goal of the Christian life is not some form of self-realization. The, the goal of the Christian life is, is, is a form of self-awareness that drives us into the very presence of God and then calls us in ministry to the world. We cannot separate those things. So no matter how uniquely we're gifted, we're always called to do both. If you have comments and reflections, I invite you to visit my website, revcraig.com. If you click on the News button in the upper right corner, and there's a drop-down menu that will appear, select Podcasts, then click on this episode and leave a comment. I'd love to hear from you. Also, please visit ffmc.org, First Free Methodist Church, ffmc.org, to learn more about free Methodism and how you can connect with our community. For now, I bid you all grace. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.